I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. England remain with a chance of lifting this year's Six Nations after a narrow win over the old rivals Wales. The visited out scored England by three tries to one, but were unable to claw their way back into the game, having gone 17-0 down early in the second half. They just ran out of time. Despite the win, it was far from vintage performance from any Jones side, who looked a little flat in attack at times. We will unpack the game in detail with the Telegraph's Charlie Morgan and my co-host today, the former England and London Irish winger Topsy Ojo. Scotland's faint hopes of mounting a challenge for the Six Nations were well and truly put to bed by, well, it was a scintillating performance from France on Saturday. The tournament favourites left Murrayfield with a bonus point win and laid down a serious marker to the rest of the competition and indeed the rest of the rugby world ahead of the World Cup next year. As for Scotland, well, it was another campaign that promised so much but failed to deliver. Gregor Townsend said they have a lot to learn following the defeat and we will ask the former Scotland said to Scott Hating, what exactly it is, is it that they need to learn? Because surely they know by now. Uh, elsewhere, we will recap the farce. Well it, well, it was a bit of a farce, wasn't it? Between Ireland and Italy at the Aviva, where it was 15 down to 13 for the majority of the afternoon. We'll discuss if stoppages in the game are ruining the matchday experience and we'll be answering your questions as always too. As I said earlier, delighted to welcome back alongside me Former England wing, Topsy Ojo. Hello, Topsy. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Were you at Twickenham on... Uh... I was. Yes, I was. Were you, were you, were you working? Were you in the crowd? Or was it... I was working. Oh, okay. uh, so working pre-game, post-game as well, but was able to sit and, well, I was going to say, enjoy the game. But... Well, uh, luckily, the second half was competitive and there were tries scored. The first half was eminently forgettable. And let's remember, it took 51 minutes, including six minutes for two scrums, neither of which completed, one of which ran three minutes off Liam Williams' sin bin clock. Just, just, I mean, it's just not good enough. Um, look, England were outscored three tries to one, and the attack, when you say flat, uh, you know, I've read subsequently, Eddie Jones said, look, we don't want people to know where it's come from, but that takes time to gel and so on. I, I sort of understand that, but I am not sure what he's getting at here, because structure, there's nothing wrong with structure as an overall framework. After that, you play what's in front of you, absolutely. But you can't just go out and play unstructured. It just doesn't work, does it? No, you can't, especially when you're not winning collisions, you're not getting over the game line, you're not generating quick ball. So you need a bit of structure to be able to get you on the front foot to then explore those unstructured opportunities. And I think what England found on Saturday was Wales are very physical, the two-man tackles, plus they were holding England's tacklers up. They were slowing the breakdown up as well, which meant that the space that they needed to exploit to play that unstructured free-flowing rugby just wasn't there. You know, even when they generated a bit of quick ball, what Wales did very well then was blitz from the edges. So they really shut down England's options. And you add all those factors together, plus England's error count was high. A lot of on-first errors, I think 14 or so turnovers, 13 penalties as well. So you add in all of that it just made it a very stop-start game. So the way England want to play, it was never going to happen because 
they didn't have control of the ball speed in the way that they wanted to. Well, the way they wanted to play was obviously affected by the fact that Tuolangi was a really late withdrawal uh, and they'll have been practising you know, a reasonable amount with him in there and lots of things, as we know, can flow from his selection, not least the the decoy runs that he would have been able to make and uh, they would have been able to exploit. That comes in the after turn it round. How big a... I mean, you, you've been in camps more recently th- than I have. That sort of withdrawal at that stage, what practical effect does that have? It, it's big, I'd say. Bigger than you would want to let on within camp because ultimately you plan around having certain players available and playing a certain style of rugby, having that physicality in the midfield. England will have said, right, we're going to use Manu either with or without the ball to soften up Wales's defence and that will give us opportunities and quick ball to play to different areas of the pitch. Now, when you take that out late, it almost forces your plan B earlier than you might have expected. And for Wales, probably knowing what Manu can do, they probably said, right, OK, we can actually get stuck into England a bit more now. And actually, another thing they did very well in the second half was they got to Marcus Smith a lot. He had to make a lot of tackles, a lot of soak-up tackles, which meant they were on the front foot. But from England's perspective, obviously, we don't know exactly when that incident happened, but enough that they were able to name the team and then pull him out. So as much as you try and hide it, it would have had an effect because they would have based a lot of their game plan around having that physicality and his presence in the midfield. Uh, Alex Dombrant would have been my man of the match. Um, he scored the all, England's only try of the game. Uh, some controversy surrounding potential foul by Itoji in the build-up. Um, people are asking, should it have counted? Well, it wasn't seen and no one complained about it. So <laughs> it stands and that's, that's sort of it. Look, quick word on Wales. Um, it was strange, wasn't it? Because they had a five-minute period, six, seven-minute period in the first half when they were pressing on England's I couldn't get over. And then the rest of the half, they were largely indifferent and turned round and then found their attacking fluency and looked by far the more dangerous side. I just wonder, can you posit a reason why they couldn't get that in the first half? It's tough. I mean, the one you would look at is discipline in terms of, you know, the breakdown was a real issue for them early on. You know, they allowed England to build a score, three six nine. The Liam Williams yellow was unnecessary, but that came from a period of pressure where England were finally able to generate some quick ball. The line-out wasn't tidy either. The line-out wasn't tidy. Actually, England's line-out at times went on the blink as well. Yeah, um, but just as the away team going away from home, you know, you say it all the time, we want to get off to a fast start, a good start, want to keep the crowd out of it. And they weren't able to do that and just too many errors on their side. And then you talk the Don Brandt try straight after half-time. At that point, it's like, right, OK, we've got nothing to lose now. We have to play. And maybe they need more of that attitude earlier, combined with less penalties, less errors, and that will get them in the game because they played some incredible stuff. I mean, it's strange, isn't it? You talk about the England's penalty count, again, being probably higher than ideal. And yet, in the first half, didn't result in them conceding a point. Well, areas of the pitch. Yep. Their penalties were kickable. England's penalties weren't. They were in areas that weren't really going to hurt them. It meant, you know, they kicked to the line out and the England's defence was still able to come into play. Whereas conversely, when England got those penalties, they resulted in points. Why don't we just deconstruct this in a more technical way with Charlie Morgan, the Telegraph's senior rugby writer. Hello, Charlie. Hi, Brian. Well, you've heard a bit of us packing England, unpacking England's performance. Um, before we get into detail, overall... What do you think? I think disjointed. I think they look like... I thought it was a bit of a reality check in that Eddie... And in fairness, Eddie Jones hasn't hidden from the fact that they are a team between two stalls. But this really hit home to me. Now, it was a home game on a fair day in gorgeous weather conditions against the Wales side that were kind of depleted through injury. And England needed really a convincing performance and a convincing win to keep them within... They are still mathematically in, in with a shout of the title but to, to 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 kind of rid the illusion that France and Ireland look a long way ahead of them I think they needed to be a little bit more convincing and I don't think they were however for a side that is still installing a new spine really I think that's probably it's probably it was probably a fair reflection of where they are as far as there were some encouraging parts I thought their defensive um, breakdown pressure was really good um I think Freddie Stewart was excellent. I know you mentioned Don Brandt there. I thought, I thought he, w- he was good and I thought Itoji was excellent too. Um, but aside from that, 
um, yeah, just just slightly disjointed in other areas that allowed whales, as it's such a familiar pattern, to stay dogged and stay stay in the fight for as long as they did. I thought Randall and Smith um, took a step, another step forward. You know, they they seem to be uh, as a pair. You know, developing. Uh, you know, the, the trajectory is on the uh, on the right way. Um, the problem is getting enough front football, getting the carriers over the gain line and away from the, you know, the, the double tackles, which Topsy mentioned earlier on, so that they have enough space. And, you know, in the second half, they were constantly on the back, you know, on the back foot and, and unable to do that and doing a lot of tackling. Eddie was talking about having a fluid back line, but there were just two clean line breaks. I think they were both by Marcus Smith stepping inside and then out of the back of his hand, weren't they? Both of them looked exactly the same. I sort of know what he's getting at about it being un, um, unstructured. But uh, Topsy and I was saying there's nothing wrong with structure as a basic premise and a framework. Thereafter, fine to play w- w- what's in front of you. Is he getting at something else that I we aren't seeing, you, you have seen? No, I don't think so. I think, I think the most... I think where we've come to now, the most sophisticated attacks around the world don't conform to structure because they have this fluency. And when I'm talking about really sophisticated attacks, I'm talking about teams like um, Leinster, ironically coached by Stuart Lancaster now, teams like Connacht in um, in um, the URC as well that play off, play off fastball and are really, really fluid. Ireland are getting there, but crucially with Ireland, they probably started this process after the last World Cup and they looked seriously clunky um, in, in 2020 while they were bedding in and they bedded in from a structure and are now moving. When you hear Andy Farrell talk about Ireland's attack now, he says he wants them to look messy. And that might seem counterintuitive, but that means that he wants them to look as unpredictable as possible because when what defensive sides are looking to do when they disrupt is to identify patterns that they can recognise um, England, it seems, have gone straight to this end goal. And it's really interesting that you mentioned Harry Randall and Marcus Smith there. I think there has been a kind of touch of realism about how we're um, judging Marcus Smith's um, <clears throat> performances at the minute. I think in this Wales team, he encountered a, an opposition that maybe apart from the South Africa game, he wouldn't have seen before as far as their intensity, maybe Scotland too, as far as the intensity of the pressure they were putting on him. Um, Alex Cuthbert played a really big role in that as far as rushing out on the out, on, rushing up on the outside to cut off his options. And Smith, I thought, generally adapted to that pretty well. But what he's not doing that with is, is a really balanced back line. And, as, and because of all of that, as well as the, this kind of free formation, it's looking a bit like England are sort of learning on the hoof. And that isn't going to look tidy for a little while. And, and the problem with that is that they've now got Ireland and France next up. So, Charlie, on that then, obviously, you referenced that Ireland side. What do you think the next step is in these next two weeks in the build-up to that Ireland game? What subtle tweaks might you be looking to see so that they can make those progressions that, like you say, Ireland did? At the risk of sounding really primitive here, um, I I think they they need one more really up-and-down threat, that sort of north-to-south threat that we talk about. And and they obviously get that with Manitou Lagi, but you just can't rely on that. Um, and it seems crazy with the player pool that England have got to be talking about somebody, um, a white knight that is a test debutant, but somebody like Alfie Barbary, who is not only physically aggressive and physically kind of imposing, but also quite intuitive in the way you've seen England's, England's forwards are clearly given a license to make those pick and goes, to mix things up around the fringes and to generate quick ball that way. Um, Carl Singh did one on the weekend. Maratoji has been quite prominent at that in in recent weeks did a couple against Italy and then one against Wales. Alfred Barbie's really good at that. Otherwise, if that's not if that's not the way they're gonna go, that's that's fair enough. But I just think a balanced midfield, somebody that there was one stage, I think it, it was in the fifty sixth minute, where uh, Sam Simmons carried in midfield and the two backs there to clear out were Max Malins and Elliot Daly and Gareth Thomas won a won a turnover Wales. That summed up to me that there's a little bit of imbalance and again that lack of power that we been talking about it seems to be just this familiar issue with with England and I think what Ireland have if you look at if you zone in on their 12 position they're Bundyaki there and he didn't even start the weekend it was Robbie Henshaw there's two guys there who will go-to carriers with that thrust and with that physical presence that really balances everything out around them. Wales you mean they, they basically just ran out of of time and had the game been 15 minutes longer you 
you would probably have said the momentum was with them and they might well have done it. Why do you think um, they, they couldn't get that fluency in the first half? I, th- I think because I think where England deserve credit there is that they have a hell of a lot of jackal threats now. Alex Dombrand um, has kind of been, had been signposted as this really intelligent player as far as his attacking involvements. I think he's, I think we kind of always knew that he had that defensive side to his game. He's quite a clever kind of disruptor, but he's really added that and that's become more consistent, I feel. He's, he won, I think, I think he won four turnovers against Italy and he won at least three again at the weekend. You add, you add Toji to that, you add Luke Karandicki to that, you add Tom Curry to that, obviously, and Courtney Laws. Now England have a really... And what, what, you, what you saw with Wales, whether they were losing that foothold, that's what Wayne... Pivak spoke about afterwards was that they couldn't get that foothold because of their in, discipline at the breakdown. But I think a lot of that was because of the pressure that England were imparting. You see really early on, Tane Basham just got off his feet and it looks like that's just a real, that, it looks like that's an unforced error, but that's forced by the reputation that Alex Dombrandt has built for himself over the ball and how disruptive he is and how good he is at targeting that. I think that's, that's got to be factored in when you talk about um, how Wales kind of lost that momentum in the first half because England kicked very it looked like a, it looked like an England performance from November 8, November 2018 where they kicked well pinned, pinned sides back and then really went hard at the breakdown and they did that really well um, I, I wrote um, about the refereeing today in the Telegraph particularly uh, of the scrums and I want to get both of your thoughts on that I am not saying that Mike Adamson got many things wrong um, you know, every referee makes some mistakes. They never make as many as players. It was, for me, the inconsistency of, in one area, like the breakdown, absolutely savage, sharp, bang, 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 you're wrong, you're wrong, fine, fine. And then, at times, just seemingly drifting around and, you know, not say, but come on, you can't have a two-minute break here. We get down in the scrums. We're not going to have, you know, three, four resets. Two scrums take six minutes. I couldn't understand the inconsistency between being red hot here and then almost blasé about this. Because I tell you, if you were sat in the crowd um, without a ref link, nothing was going on. Six minutes where the backs had literally nothing to do. Absolutely nothing. I think well, being there, it was so, it was so palpable how the, the energy was drained in those periods from yeah. a game that was... You know, extremely cut and thrust in in the times when that wasn't going on, and everything <clears throat> about the game just sagged in 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 those areas. I think, you know, obviously referees are only human. The context to this game is that it was a huge game in the, in the context of Mike Adamson's career. I think he wanted to get those that that scrum was always going to be a really competitive area, given Wales had come in. They felt that they were on top against Ireland and not got rewarded. They were on top against Scotland and did get the rewards from the referee. Well, uh, it's always obviously a really important area for England. And I think Mike Adamson was desperate to get that right. And I think he maybe showed a little bit of experience in the time he took for that to get right. And I think a more experienced referee, Brian, would have would have acted in the way you're saying there. Would have would have said right, okay. Hurry up! Hurry up! We need we need this to be going on quickly, and would have, would have been more mindful of the spectacle and the rhythm of the game because that has to be a concern for them too. Topsy, yeah, I, I would echo that. I, I think you know, I, I think of a guy like Luke Pearce who is constantly saying to the players, "Hurry up! Come on! Water carries get off!" Encouraging the tempo of the game, and maybe you know that might come further down the line, and they'll review the performance and say, "Right, the game was too slow." The halves are too slow. Yes, there will be stoppages for injuries, HIA, blood, all that. But when there's not, we need the game to keep moving. And the referees can really help that in terms of encouraging the players. Look, surely you want to get on with the game as well. We've got guys stood out here who haven't touched the ball for three, four minutes. So let's get on with the game. Let's get on with the scrum engages. And it does come with experience. But in that pre-game conversation with the front rows, you set the precedent. You set the standard, your cadence, your tempo. And you keep that. That doesn't waver. And if one team doesn't play ball, you free kick them. And you free kick them, you penalise them. Let me just make this point. In no other area do referees feel the need to coach. They don't coach people in the line-out. They don't coach people anywhere else. They might say at the breakdown, don't do that. But that's a different matter of stopping things before you have to blow out and so on and giving... They're not qualified to do this either. I tell you what, if this ever came to a court case... And 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 the and the judge was asking the expert witness, are these people in you know qualified? No, they're not. 
So, and the other thing is, when I when you say to me balance, that can mean a completely different thing to my opposite number. Can mean, can mean anything. It's a meaningless phrase. They're there, and they always come out with this disingenuous. Well, no referee ever claps a scrum. Yeah, but no player ever has a whistle, and it's not there whose who's job it is to referee the laws. Just referee the laws. I tell you what. Why not start on this premise before you say before you say I'm wrong? Before you go down the softly softly route which, by the way, resulted in only 35% of three scrums out of five actually completed without a sanction. There were only eight scrums, and they took ages. Um, so softly, softly, why not just say, right, bang, penalty, penalty. If you do that again, you're both going off for 10 minutes, and we'll get someone who can. I bet you, I bet you, miraculously, the players who all know the laws anyway, over all of a sudden, they'll do it. I remember talking to J.P. Doll a long time ago, who was saying, this didn't work, that didn't work. I said, what, on the basis of, of one decision? I said, what, as an overall thing, if you all did this, I promise you, all front row players know exactly what the laws are. They know exactly who's to blame. And even if you, because he said to me, you can't, you can't take two people off. I said, you can. Two people can be cheating at the same time. Just, why don't you try it? Nope, we can't do that. Because, I don't know. Um, Players, Topsy, as you know, are very clever. They are, they are pros, they are infinitely flexible, and they can manage to do virtually anything that they want to do oh, within yeah. reason. Oh, yeah, you know, definitely. They definitely. can get to lineouts quicker, they can get to scrums quicker. We all know this. So why not try that before we start being pally? Because it's not your job to be a coach, and it's not your job to be a mate to people. You can have a civil conversation and be an umpire, but you are in charge. I'm sorry if you don't believe that you've got some responsibility there. And I'm not talking about making it a spectacle. I'm talking about doing your job and the consequences for all there. Anyway, um, just before you go, Charlie, um, yeah, at the moment, uh, Ireland and France do look um, at least one step ahead. But I, I tell you, if you look at it another way, barring that incident with Luke Cowan Dickey, England could be unbeaten at the moment, at this moment. And irrespective of you know how well they haven't played or have played, um, you could make a case out for that. And again, we come back to the fact that they've still got the highest win ratio at Twickenham, eighty-five percent at home. So, whilst Ireland, you would probably make them slight favourites, even accounting for the fact they're away. I don't think it'll be a what you know. I don't think they will be confident. They will be confident of of being able to do the job, but not as a certainty. I wouldn't have thought coming to Twickenham. No, not at all. I think I think the way England's schedule was always set up, they were going to have to. And as far as just the, the natural kind of the inherent disadvantage of their of their system of guys coming from all different clubs, they're always going to have to scrape through those. Certainly, that first game at Murrayfield, they obviously didn't quite manage that, but I I do think that they were pretty impressive in a lot of areas for certainly the first three quarters of that game. Um, Italy was Italy. It, it it kind of faded a little bit as the, as the game went on, but they got through that. And then again, Wales always just seem to to stick in that fight against England, don't they? And having got through those first three games, they're at home again. You know, Ireland Ireland have had horror shows their last two their last two trips to Twickenham, and that that could well factor psychologically, even though they've been so impressive themselves at home. So, um, absolutely, England have to be a lot better, but they will be confident to two for sure. Well, it seems like quite a long time ago that I was uh, at the Calcutta Cup game in Murrayfield, which England eventually lost. And before that game, a lot of Scots were quietly confident that this Six Nations might be the one when Scotland emerged uh, as potential, at least potential title contenders. Now, it's not going to be like that. And um, they met a rampant French side who scored seven tries uh, against them. Um, why don't we speak to someone who can give us another point of view? Former Sc- Scotland centre and British Lions centre, friend of mine, Scott Hastings is here. Hello, Scott. <laughs> Brian, good to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, what a championship for Scotland, isn't it? You know, they, they beat the old enemy, they, they got the Kakara Cup, they get their campaign off to a great start, and then suddenly, well, they shoot themselves in the foot down in Cardiff. But as you said, they came up against a rampant French team at Murrayfield and uh, literally outplayed. Scott, I'll tell you what would worry me if I were a Scotland fan, a player, a selector and what have you, is if you take South Africa into the equation as well, that's this is the fourth game in a row 
where the Scotland forwards have been second best for large parts of the game and in international rugby against decent sides, that is probably going to mean um, you're not going to win. Um, and uh, were it not for the aberration by uh, Cowan Dickey and the uh, way in the, which that benefits Scotland, you know, they, 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 could have, they could have been winless. And seven tries, irrespective of how good the French were, and they were very good at times, must be disappointing. So what, what, was, what is it? Do you, what has gone wrong? Brian, Brian, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I think I think it's the style of play that Scotland are in now. You know, there have been a few injuries, okay, to the likes of uh, you know Johnny Gray, Jamie Ritchie, etc. But Scotland have not got a big abrasive ball carrier per se. Against France, they kind of held their own up front and they got themselves back into a game that they'd fallen out with in the first half. But what what gets me is it's the drop off of intensity as a collective that. This pack of forwards are not rising to the occasion. And also, it's this inability, once they've won the ball, how they're actually involving their team. Finn Russell, I think, has been a disaster the last couple of games. And when you look at other fly halves in the championship, and the way they bring in their outside backs, they make the most of them. And I think too much focal point has gone on Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg. And so I'm not taking anything away from the forwards. What I'm trying to say is that it's a collective issue that needs to be addressed, the way they hit the contact, the way they engage in the, the breakdown. And 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 Scotland conceded, what, half a dozen jackals in that second half against France and against the big packs, they kind of labour. And I don't think they have a game plan to actually get out of that, whether that's by speeding up the game, slowing it down, a kicking platform. I I, I can't see a pattern of play in Gregor Townsend attack book that, that is coming anywhere near. He does say that they can break out from anywhere and score wonderful tries. And there was a couple of opportunities, one at the end of the first half and hog spilt ball. But, you know, in the second half, you know, a consolation score from uh, Van der Merwe. But, Apart from that, as you said, and it's it's obvious that when Scotland get outdone up front, there's not there's not an awful lot else there. Uh, Scott, you mentioned Finn Russell just then, and I'm sure by now you've probably see, seen the clip of him not working back to help his team out as they're about to concede a try. I mean, we we know he's a talented player, but. Is there any defence for that? And do you think that maybe attitude of laziness or work rate? I mean, how does that affect the rest of the team? <laughs> Topsy, you know, I'm I'm not in the camp that thinks Finn Russell is the world's greatest fly half. Let, let's get that clear. And and one of the things that really greets me is this sort of um, I call him the smiling assassin. This smile, get that smirk off your face and knuckle down and start winning games. Of rugby, and there is undoubted class in 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 the way he can play the game, and you know. But he has to he has to realise that when he goes on the field with Scotland, he has to be a different player from that 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 puts on the boots at uh, Racing ninety two, and and that la- la- sort of lackadaisical style doesn't fit into Scotland's psyche. So for me, Russell has to work on his game plan for Scotland. Um, and yes, when he came off the bench in the third test match, he did transform the way the Lions played. And, but he's too mercurial. Stephen Jones said in the Sunday Times, he is a world-class player, but world-class players uh, don't make mistakes. And, uh, you know, that, that frustrates me. And, and you know, if he's, if he's going to come to Scotland and play a game of rugby. He has to fit in with another style. So I haven't looked back and analysed the game. I hadn't seen him chasing back there. But we can all look at players and think, oh, they could have got up and made a certain tackle or hit the ball. So, um, But, um, you know, he, he is he's an annoying, he's a frustratingly annoying individual who, who makes mistakes. Um, but he's got to eliminate them from Scotland's game because what that, what happens within his game plan, if he makes mistakes, other players are compounding that by making mistakes themselves. I tell you what, when you talk about world-class players, Messi, Ronaldo, Federer, all of you, amazing how hard they work. Amazing how that's always there, yeah. irrespective of what they can do going forward. Look, uh, Rory Dodge, um, I thought he, he, was, he was, as a debutante, did, did well. What do you make of his performance? 
Yeah, he, he's good. He's a young lad who who was picked up at Edinburgh. Uh, he, he played in captain Scott for Scotland under twenties, but he was sent across to Glasgow at the start of the season, and he he cemented his place in the Glasgow Warriors team. And he's been playing like this all the way through the season. I've commentated on a couple of games uh, in, in the Heineken Cup. And, and Darge has been outstanding for the Warriors up against the bigger teams such as Exeter and La Rochelle. Um, he deserved his chance. He, he is a great player, but physically he's he's not quite there. However, having said that, he did remarkably well. But the, the whole game from Scotland's perspective is, is if they go in isolated, there's always the jackal opportunity against the bigger, heavier types of players and packs, as as we saw. They can compete. Scotland can win at the highest level. It's the lack of consistency that gets me about this team. A few seasons ago, when uh, just before the Rugby World Cup 2019, Gregor Townsend was preaching the fastest game in world rugby. And Scotland were unable to execute that and fell out of games within the first 10, 15 minutes. They then got it right up front, but... This pack of forwards is not performing as well as they should. Um, there's not enough unity there. Um, but it's, you know, they've also got a tricky, did I say it, a tricky away trip to Rome. Oh, come on. Top oh, God. Hi. They, I'm they with you on ability, that. They have the ability to absolutely wipe Italy, as every other nation has done so far. Well, if they don't, um, then oh. it's going to be... Uh, look, the the... The remainder of the tournament, you you, you, you just got to win, haven't you? I mean, I, yeah. There, there's nothing left, is there, apart from no, that? No, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I think there will be a few changes for Italy. Um, they should they should be able to put 20, 30 points on them, as every other team has done. Um, I even witnessed them, commentated on them over the uh, the uh, the autumn series in November tests, and, and, and they were awful. Um, I think there has been improvement under Kieran Crowley. Um, but Scotland should not be going to Rome fearing Italy, to be quite frank. The the challenge within that particular um, sort of mind frame is that they can't, they can't, they've got to stay as positive as they can. There's been a lot of good things in this championship. And then they go to Dublin, you know, facing and, and trying to raise their game to finish off the uh, the season, you know, on a bit of a high, because quite frankly, it, it can't get any worse. Well, on that cheery note, Look, you can't sugarcoat these things. I don't think anyone should because it's patronising. Um, you know, there are things there that uh, desperately need uh, addressing. And I tell you what, it does show how important Hamish Watson is to this team, doesn't it? It really is disproportionately important. Uh, absolutely. When I, when I talk about strength, the one thing that, that uh, Hamish Watson's worked on, he, he had speed as a Scotland sevens player. He came into professional setup. He's really worked hard in his game. And of course, as, as last year's uh, player of the championship, he's shown how good he is carrying ball into contact. And that's the type of sort of ball carrying ability that all the Scotland forwards should have. And, you know, I, I look at Sander Fagus and think that guy should be one of the best props in the Six Nations. And he's not coming out of any of the games with any any sort of aspiration to be that type of player. However, I, I digress. Um, Hamish Watson is, is a, great, a great player. I think he will get back in. And it's whether they use Darge off the bench or whether they maybe sit, stick uh, Hamish Watson in potentially even as a blind side. But again, if you, you sacrifice Hamish's open side ability to, to grapple with our, uh, with, with Italy's pack and, and, and with Ireland, I think it's, 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 it's always... A, the game of rugby is about a balancing act, isn't it? And uh, if, if Scotland can get that balance right and get the attitude right, then they can take on the best nations in the world. But unfortunately, that lack of consistency and soft scores or soft errors uh, lead to catastrophic results. Scott, going to leave you there, but thanks very much, mate. Take care. Not, not at all. Quick word on Topsy. I thought his presentation yesterday was awesome. <laughs> well done, Topsy. Too kind. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate showing it. showing the way to go. All the best to you. Thank you. Topsy, France were getting a lot of plaudits on Saturday and Gregor Townsend was one of their um, praisers calling the best side in the world currently. Um, perhaps that was uh, to deflect from what was, a, at times, not a great Scottish performance, but they were impressive. Uh, and in particular, what impressed you? Their ruthlessness. Their ruthlessness and their consistency now. They're, they're delivering home and away. Was it seven tries they scored? Yeah. They're just... They're, they look like a team that have really found their confidence. 
They've got a style of play that suits them. They've got world-class players to execute it. I mean, the issue will come for them if one or two of those pieces go missing, DuPont in particular. How does that affect the team? But Actually, I mean, look, they, they picked... Um you know, a different wing fullback. They, you know, they're, they're, they're just pushing players in it. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's where you know you've hit the sweet spot in terms of players can come in, you can make a few changes and it's still seamless. Case in point, you know, Scotland, they go up the other end. You think Stuart Hogg's about to score. He drops the ball. Lo and behold, France go up the other end and score. And they're just developing, they're building a bit of an aura about how they play now. Big, strong pack, fluent backs, great handling and they're building a machine at the right time as you'd, as you'd want them with a view to hosting a whole home World Cup. So impressive in their performances. They will be eyeing up Grand Slam, no doubt about it. Two fixtures to go. Um, Looking favourites and rightly so because they've earned that. You know, they've struggled for many, many years up until recently, but now they've built something really strong, really robust and, and it's producing on the pitch. Well, again, you saw another, you know, defensively disciplined uh, play, you know, Scotland two tries, but apart from that, they were reasonably well shackled by France. But discipline comes in other areas, and not just about not giving penalties away or, or not punishing people. For the Wilhelmser try, our, the, the end-on view that they saw, both of the forwards that ran onto that waited and waited. They didn't creep and get there. You know, they, I was always told, if you think you're going to be late on a run, you'll probably be on time, you know. Um, and so they weren't stuttering. They came from they came from about eight yards away, and they hit it at full tilt. And then the, you know first tackle into second one as a way not no no stuff to do it. And that is a sort of discipline, isn't it? As well when you're getting things right. Absolutely, it's both sides of the ball. It's everything. You know, we always think about defence and penalties, but it's your handling, it's your depth, it's your timing of your runs. And you know, we spoke about structured and unstructured attack earlier. That's probably the perfect example in terms of right. You've got front football. Where is the space? Is it those gaps close to the ruck or is it wider? And you get your timing right and all the rules go out the window. Then you are just playing rugby. What is happening in front of you? Where's the space? And how do we continue to attack it to keep the defence on the back foot? I mean, it was brilliant from start to finish, but that is what you want to see from your team. A tiny bit of structure to give you go forward ball and then you're just playing. I know that was a counter-attack, but that's how you put the whole package together and it looks brilliant when you get it right. Well, there was another game at the weekend. It was a bit of a farce, really. Um, 15 versus 13 for most of the game. Well, 15 to 12 at one point. Um, Look, it was always going to be difficult for Italy. They'd actually fronted up quite well in the first 15 minutes before the first red card. And uh, it was a red card. There should have been one for Ireland as well. But the... Andy Farrell wouldn't have been happy with that. He would have wanted a better test, wouldn't he? Um, before, I mean, they got the win and it was a resounding one, as you'd say. Um, what do you think about the refereeing, you know, uh, uh, look, uh, it's the laws, unfortunately, around, you know, forcing Italy down to 13 players and around the scrum and so on. It, it, the, I, I'm not going to criticise the referee because he, he, he said what he saw. Um, you, you could argue with it, but not very much. Couldn't see much mitigation. And then everything flows from that. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sure um, what he's supposed to do. He, you know, he, he can't referee according to whether he keeps sides in the game. Or, you know, that's, you know, it really shouldn't be a uh, factor. No, you, you said it earlier. You know, it's his job to referee the law and by the law. He was correct. You know, we know now we are looking very stringently at head contact. There was neck-to-head contact. It's a red card. Yes, Ireland probably should have had one looked at as well. But... It's one of those laws that only appears every so often in terms of they'd had a hooker go off already and now your sub-hooker gets red-carded, so your hands are tied. And unfortunately, the whole premise is to stop the scrum being depowered, devalued, so that, for example, people saying online, can they just put on an extra... What would happen is another back or a forward would come on into an uncontested scrum and you would potentially end up with some kind of benefit elsewhere. So that's the reason why the law is applied the way it is and... Mm. It was just unfortunate that it hit the one position, or well, the front row in particular, where that scenario would happen. You know, I, I must return to this. Every player um, knows exactly what they do when they go into tackle, virtually all the time. You know, if someone wrong foots you and, and you know, you slip and, you know, you, you close like, you know, I understand how that happens. But we're talking about a straight drive, straightforward, where you're seeing it from a good six, seven yards. And you still choose not to bend your knees. You say, look, 
All you need to do is bend your knees, and if you make contact, you've at least tried to, and there will be at least a mitigating factor. Please bend your knees, you're a pro. Yeah, and drive forwards, not upwards. That was the other thing. I mean, if he drives forwards instead of up, he probably gets away with it. Yeah. The fact that he's already a bit more upright and then he propels upwards, it's only going to end one. You're putting yourself at risk and you're asking the referees to make a decision. Hard to, hard to read much of substance into that performance for, from an Irish point of view. But the coming to a killing in two weeks' time should be uh, favourites because of the balance and the way they've gone. Um, have they done enough you know, to... to no, no, no one is, 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 is positive to win, especially at Twickenham. But do you think they, they really are nailed-on favourites? I wouldn't say they're nailed-on favourites. I'd have put that down to their history of travelling to Twickenham. You know, they've been in good positions before and have come to Twickenham and come unstuck. I'd yeah. say this would be a brilliant opportunity for them to demonstrate that they are in a very strong position to come away from home and win would be huge in the context of where they are right now and when they want to get to going forwards. Um, it would almost solidify the work that Ireland and Andy Farrell have done in building the style of play that we see. You know, forwards that can really handle the ball, that are comfortable on the ball. Free-flowing style of attack whereby you've got some big carriers, especially in the back row, and then you've got backs that are really looking to move the ball to space at a good tempo. Doing it at home is one thing, and even pre-red card against Italy... You saw that. They did the same against Wales. Scored early, got out the blocks quick and implemented their style that we've seen now time and time, especially from the autumn. But going away from home, different prospect. Coming to Twickenham and almost with how England have been, they know that England are going to raise their game. So it does make for a really fascinating contest. But Ireland will almost know that they need this one. Well, I think it's a chance for them to to, to make that statement. Um, and if they don't, then... Um, I'm not saying, well, it, it would have knocked them off track, but it will put a question mark there that they can answer if they get it right and just put that bit to bed. And it'll give them a lot of confidence. And if, if it goes the other way, then there must be, a, you know, at least an element of doubt. And when you get some questions, uh, one from Bruno. All the talking heads are complaining about the uncontested scrum rule, yet no one has suggested a viable alternative. As a former number two, what do you feel World Rugby should do? Or should we just accept that teams will contrive to lose their front row to force uncontested scrums? Now, actually, people don't do that. You know, they, look, I can... Wasps used to do it, certainly against Leicester. Because <laughs> Leicester fans used to have a sweepstake into how long it would be before there were uncontested scrums. Um, but no, the, gen, no, people don't want to go off in front rows. Not, that's not what you like. If you play the front row, you, you have to, like competitive and combat and and people just don't want to do it yeah that's uh, uh, you've nailed it there you know you, you almost you're challenging the competitive nature of the players going onto the pitch saying these guys don't want to scrum today they're looking for a way to go to uncontested to give them an advantage um i would try saying that in a changing room of any of these teams and imagine saying that to ellis Genge or something like that you know yeah. and at the end at the end of the day it's they go to uncontested scrums because of safety rules and laws, and you can't mess around with those. Because I tell you what, if you get those wrong and the law steps in, then you really are in trouble. So you're better off doing it anyway. Look, no one likes them, but I tell you what, I'd rather you know I'd rather watch eight uncontested scrums than eight where five don't complete and two of them take six fucking minutes. Danny, would it help to have a retired front row officiating some capacity? Seems very tedious to bring someone just for scrums, but big problem, isn't it? Well, to be honest, no, it wouldn't. You, you know, referees guess. All referees guess because they're not, none of them are playing the front row. And when I'm watching and I play in the front row, I am guessing as well. But I'm guessing from a better informed perspective. On one side, when two props go down, um, there are only two people who know and they'll both lie. So you'll never get the truth. But the point is, what do you do about it? And I just think if referees, if they acknowledge that they don't really know what's going on, then say, I am going to make a decision. And this is what I'm looking for. If you lose your bind first, it might be because the titans force you down, but you've lost it. So that's what I'm looking for. And that's it. Simple as that. So they know where they are. And then if they both carry on doing it, you say, well, you can both go off and we'll get two more people who did it. Or you say, listen, if you keep messing around like this, we'll just have uncontested. 
And then, and I tell you what, it sounds a draconian thing. Um, and all referees will put their hands up and say, you can't do that, you, can't, you can do it, and you've never tried it, so don't tell me it doesn't work. Because, as Topsy and I were saying earlier on, all these players, and I know this, they all know what the law is. They all know how to do it. They all know if they want it. I tell you what, if you said to them, if you go down, you all get fined 20 grand. It'll stay up. I tell you, it'll stay up because they can do it. So it's not a question of encouraging them. It's a question of discouraging them by making the sanctions enough because they can do it. They all know how to do it. Um, and I just wish referees would at least try this anyway. Chris, I find the advantage rule completely inconsistent across the spectrum, and so do I. Some referees uh, seem to let play go on for multiple phases, others just a one or two. Um, what would be appropriate? Set number of phases or getting 10 metres, one minute of play or whatever. Well, Topsy, will you go first and let's differentiate, uh, let's deal with both, the one from the knock-on and then the one from the penalty advantage. Do the knock-on one first. Knock-on. Uh, advantage from a knock-on. I... I'd almost say if there's not been substantial forward progress, then an advantage hasn't been game. So you come back. I mean, I've obviously seen in the question, you could say something like 10 metres. I think it's so vague, isn't it? What does advantage mean? But I think if the team receiving the ball after the knock-on hasn't sufficiently moved the ball forward, there's no advantage. And you bring it back nice and quick, and then you get on with the game. I'd say from a penalty... Probably similar, but there's a bit more leeway in terms of, right, there's actually been an infringement. So again, if there's been some decent forward progress, communicate it clearly. That's the other thing as well. Communicate it clearly, advantage over, and then both teams know. Two things here. What's supposed to happen, certainly in respect to the first one, you're supposed to be put in a position which you would have been had this not occurred. So, uh, you know, if you get the scrum and you get the ball from a scrum providing it actually completes and, you know, you can use it. Goes back to the fly half and he has a chance to do what he wants. If the ball comes away from the knock-on to the fly half or the first receiver, whoever that is, in space, if he then chooses to kick, he's in no different position than he would have been had a scrum been given and you get the ball. So that you've put him back in the position he would have been. and it's already. So I'd say, as soon as you kick a ball, that's it, because you've chosen to do it. Unless you are kicking from deep and there's still some pressure that wouldn't have been there, you know, if you... And it's good, because remember, in a scrum, all the backs would have been five yards back, um, and you would have had your thing. Provided you're not under pressure, if you make a decision it goes wrong, and this is what happens, isn't it? Referees see it go wrong... And they say, oh, well, you, you made a mistake. So, well, actually, that's not really the law. <laughs> but, but certainly earlier in that, the one with the penalty is... I genuinely think... You know how um, scrum halves used to just drop the ball or throw it into someone? Yeah, quick because want that. I don't see why you shouldn't do that. I don't see why you shouldn't be able to take the penalty. Because, we'd, you know, it'd be certain. Say, no, I make the decision. I don't want you to make it. We don't want to play for 15 phases and, and perhaps lose it. There. What, what is... Why is that... Why is there anything wrong with that? Yeah, I mean, we saw Scrum House trying to do that. Did they drop the ball deliberately, want to tap and go? You have to let them get on with the game. Again, we're talking about tempo, talking about increasing the pace. Let them get on with it or how you communicate that. Say, right, I want the penalty, give it to me so you can carry on and get on with the game. I, mm -hmm. I think that bit needs to be tweaked so it's better, but so you can, give the advantage you, to the you, attack. But can you tell me what was offensive about a player saying, you've given me a penalty, I'll have it now then? Nothing. Nothing. I'd be very happy with that. And I know a lot of scrum halves would be as yeah. well. I'll take the penalty. Give it to me now. There's an advantage. I want to take a quick tap. Let's get on with the game. Declan, how did you find the viewing experience as part of the general public? Well, um, he's saying, I find it a nightmare constantly getting up to allow people to pass to go to the bar or the toilet. Why did they just watch the game? Well, actually, Declan, you're absolutely right. And the worst aspect is this. When people come back or are going and something starts happening on the field and you've stood up for them, and they're standing in front of you, they stay there and watch. And I said, get to, the end of the, get to the end of the row, at least, before you do this. We disrupted this again as you've come back. And, mate, you're nearly... You're obviously in your 60s, so your bladder's not going to be good, so you really ought to make allowances with it. No, you're right. It is a nightmare, but um, they make about a million quid um, on the, uh, <laughs> the half-time and during the game drinks, so they're not going to change that. 
Um, I'm more. Ex- I tell you what, Declan, I was more bothered about the viewing experience of having to sit watching nothing happen for six minutes while we tried to complete two scrums and watching all the backs, you know, you know, just, just well, I don't know, they're playing Wordle or something. And um, the rest of us were sat there nonplussed. So, you know, I'm not trying to pick fault. I know players, you know, players are hugely, you know, they're hugely committed, I'm I'm not having a go at them. I'm not really having necessarily a go at referees per se. I'm just saying there are areas of the game which if you are trying to convert people, to rugby union are unnecessarily tedious and they could be solved with a bit of nous. And one of the things I do think, in the same way as American football, when you have a clock for, you never, they have a stop clock for playing. If you don't get play away, you get penalised and you go five metres back. You can do the same for line outs and scrums. I don't care. You agree how long it should be. Should it be a minute? It should be 30 seconds? If you're not ready to throw the ball in, if you're not ready to form the scrum, the putting goes the other way. They'll all be ready. Absolutely all be ready. Need to give you a whistle, Brian. <laughs> Get you out there. <laughs> oh, just a final point. Someone asked me about this. Should Russia uh, be allowed to continue to compete and try and qualify for the next World Cup? Uh, my opinion, no. Sorry. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph. Sorry about the rants, but there you go. Uh, big thanks to my co-host Topsy Ojo and to my guest Charlie Morgan and Scott Hastings for joining me. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can check out all our previous episodes by subscribing to the Full Contact Podcast channel. There's no six well, there's no six nations this week, but I'll be back next Monday as we build up to the penultimate round of games, and that includes the mammoth clash at Twickenham between England and Ireland. And let's hope that's all that uh, it promises to be. Until then, goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.